0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit christcitychurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. Who is he, this King of Glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of Glory.
1: Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew. I've been going to CCC for about five or six years now in the central congregation, so it's great to be here with you. So that's if you don't know me. If you do know me, you may know my wife, Rebecca, here at the front, works in the courts for a very senior judge. And one thing that she will adamantly tell you when evidence is presented or a witness speaks in court is that context is everything. And to fully understand why David wrote this poem, why he prayed this prayer, we need a little bit of context. So to do this, we're going to look at the book of 2 Samuel alongside this psalm. So if you want to have it, a thumb in it, it's on page 230 of the, the Church Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6. You might just want a thumb in that. I'll also have the words on the screen. So... A bit of further context, David has recently been crowned king of Israel. He's conquered Jerusalem, which he makes his capital. He's defeated the mighty Philistines and has taken the Ark of the Covenant back from them. Now, if you're not familiar with Israelite history or have not watched the Indiana Jones films, the Ark of the Covenant and its contents are here on the screen. Now, the Ark was very important to the Israelites for two reasons. Firstly, it represented God's promise with the Israelites for him to be their God and for them to be his people. (laughs) And it also represented God's presence on earth amongst the people. As such, David is keen to bring the ark to Jerusalem on what is now the Temple Mount. I was actually here last week with Rebecca and a few others from church. There's now two mosques somewhere the Temple Mount would have been. There's a map as well showing the old city of Jerusalem and that kind of Mount Moriah is up where they built temple. So that's what David wants to bring it here to the centre of his new city, of the capital. So let's read what happens when he tries to do this. So if you want to flip back to 2 Samuel, do. Otherwise the words will be here on the screen. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. Skipping down to verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. <coughs> and down to verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Instead he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. David discovers a problem. How can anyone live in the presence of a God who strikes dead anyone who gets too close? You see, God's presence is like the sun. And the sun's pretty good, isn't it? It provides light and life to all of us and to this world. But if you were to get too close, you would be burnt up and destroyed. The only thing that could approach the sun without getting burnt up would be another sun made of the same material. So if we try to approach God's presence but get too close, we will get destroyed, struck down, just like Uzzah, because we are not holy like God. Rather, we are unholy Jew to our sin. So, Psalm 24 is a prayer that asks and answers three big questions. Who is this God who lives among us? Who do we need to be to live in his presence? And how do we respond to his presence? Let's dig in with the first question. The first two verses in Psalm 24 address this question. The Lord God owns the world and everything in it, and everyone in it. Who but God could create the world we see today from the waters. This is David referencing one of the first lines of the Bible from the book of Genesis, chapter 1. You could just click on there. Sorry. You just click on a couple of slides, Lucas. Perfect, thank you. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called the seas. So David starts this prayer by affirming that God is the creator and maker of everything. And as such, he is in charge. Nothing and no one can come to him and claim superiority. And in addition, these verses show that God is not an invader to this land, He's not conquering what belongs to other people. It is already his. So Psalm 24, it starts with this declaration, leading us to the second question. Who do we need to be to live in his presence? Look down with me. In light of the death of Uzzah, David asked God in verse 3, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? David provides two pairs of requirements to live in his presence in verse 4. The one who has clean hands, this means the person whose actions are good and just. David is referring to a person who doesn't only avoid acting wrongly, but actively does good. This is paired with a pure heart, which inwardly reveres God and seeks to obey him as opposed to our own selfish desires, the one who does not trust in an idol, the one who doesn't live their life for some other god such as fame, wealth, popularity, success and the last requirement that someone who does not swear by a false god, this simply means someone who tells the truth about their neighbours no matter the cost. And verse 5 tells us that if someone like this enters God's presence, they receive blessings from the Lord. Vindication, which means to be cleared of any blame and any wrongdoing. However, as David realizes when Uzzah was struck down, there is no one like this on earth. And therefore no one can stand in the holy place or ascend the mountain of the Lord. And that's a big, big problem when it comes to bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. So David has a problem. But he also knows what his forefathers had said about God. That he is a God who forgives, who is merciful, who is abounding in love, but who demands justice. And as detailed in the first few books of the Old Testament, God had instructed the Israelites to sacrifice various animals and other foods as a substitute for their sins in order to come near to his presence. The punishment for sin was death, an ultimate separation from God. And so by sacrificing these animals, they took on the punishment for the people. So with God's character in mind, David Tries again to bring the ark to Jerusalem. So let's read on in 2 Samuel, looking at verse 12. So David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with shouts, Might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. David treats the ark and therefore God with the respect and the fear he deserves. Priests carry the ark instead of a cow cart sacrifices for the sins of David and the people of Israel are offered. David is dressed in priestly garments. And if you read on in the chapter, you'll see that as the ark arrives at the place where the tabernacle would be on the temple mount, the people continue to offer sacrifices for their sins. So the first part of the psalm declares God as the creator, the owner the rightful ruler over the earth. The second part details how humans ought to approach God's presence on earth in a morally pure state due to the sacrifice of those animals and with respect and a healthy fear towards God's presence. Now, the last part of the psalm heralds the coming of God's presence into human space and our response. So, I'd love us to read it like they would have in the past. So this would have been sung by a group, where one group sings and the other group responds. So on this side, if you could read the verses in grey, this side, you're going to respond with the verses in yellow. So here we go. One, two, three. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Okay, we're going to have to start again. We need a bit of emphasis, a bit of oomph, okay? You're going to be singing this out. This was sang on the Sunday morning of every week, the start of the week. The priest in the temple would sing this song for hundreds of years. So a bit more oomph, please. Here we go. Starting with verse 7, this side. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up. Thank you. So, having actually walked through the various gates around the old city of Jerusalem just last week, <clears throat> I can tell you that David is not using these verses as a command to lift up the gates like they were attached to some sort of pulley. It's a metaphor that refers to someone lifting their head to acknowledge the entrance of one who is greater, who is more important than themselves. To lift one's head at God's entrance, at the Ark coming in, his presence coming in, was to acknowledge that God is God. And this respect and this reverence, that's the proper response when God enters our presence and when we enter his. This acknowledgement, at the same time, denies all other claims of God's in our life. We might not have statues that we worship, but what about money? How people think of us, our own aspirations, our families. They can all become idols. They can come, become the most important thing. Lifting your head confesses that God and nothing else is number one Lord over your life. 700 years later, on what we now call Palm Sunday, As the priests in the temple were singing this psalm, as they did at the start of every week on a Sunday morning, another king was making his way into Jerusalem towards the temple mount. And another group were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Pam Sunday reminds us of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This was foreshadowed by the ark all those years ago. Just like the ark was a crossroads between God and man's presence, so was Jesus. Jesus lived with clean hands and a pure heart. He did not trust in an idol. He did not swear by a false god. He was perfect, sinless, righteous, and holy. Because of him, we can know God and be in his presence. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Jesus. Who may stand in his holy place? Jesus. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Jesus is. Not in military terms, but in battle against sin the king, the creator, the ruler of the world, he gave up his authority, his sovereignty, and his power. Rather than killing, he chose to be killed. Why? Well, Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, in the first century, puts this so well. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And this is one of the core truths of our faith here today in Dublin in 2023, that only through unity with Jesus can we stand God's holy place. So, with all of this in mind, as we come to a close, how can we respond to the amazing truths of Psalm 24 in our lives today. Well, I suggest, as the psalmist repeats, that we lift Jesus up in prayer in three ways. Firstly, that we lift him up as our creator. The first two verses in Psalm 24 show us that God, in the beginning, created everything and everyone and it was good. By lifting up God as our Creator and the Creator, we are acknowledging that every good thing in life comes from Him. The air in our lungs, the food in our bellies, the roof over our heads, the money in our bank accounts, laughter, joy, sport, music, art, family, friendship, rest, it all comes from Him. Where In your life, do you enjoy the fruit of God's creation, but don't acknowledge that it comes from him? I know for me, for example, I'm pretty tight with money. I hate spending it or giving it away. It's my hard-earned money after all. But the first couple of verses in Psalm 24 tell me that the earth is the Lord and everything in it, including my money. What is it for you? Use this psalm to pray prayers of thanks and acknowledgements and to pray prayers of help to remember in your life everything is his. Secondly, we should lift Jesus up as our saviour. The temptation, especially in a society like Dublin today, is to adopt a performance-based approach to our charity. If I told more people about Jesus, if I was a better parent or a sibling or a spouse or a worker, then God would accept me. Then I could stand in his holy place. If only I could banish the impure thoughts in my head about others, the violent thoughts, the mean thoughts, the lustful thoughts, then I'd be okay. If only I could trust in idols less, if I wasn't so swayed by popularity or my salary my job title, my Instagram profile. Maybe if I just didn't tell any white lies, if I didn't gossip, if I just spoke up with the truth when others were telling lies, if only. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you so that you'd have to work your way into God's favor. If you are a Christian today, because of the cross, you are in God's favor. He'll take your sins, all your if-onlys, and in return, he'll give you his righteousness and his holiness. There's no need for animal sacrifice anymore, like in the time of David. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for all our sins today. As the psalm says, he blesses you with vindication. He saves you. And our response should be to accept this with joy. And to live like Jesus in response to being saved, not as a requirement to be saved. So we should lift him up as our creator, lift him up as our savior, and finally lift him up as our Lord. Lifting Jesus up as Lord, acknowledging him as God means that he has the final say on how we ought to live our lives. Maybe you find it hard to follow God's design for sex, that it's a good thing but only to be between a man and a woman in marriage in a loving, selfless and consensual manner and anything outside that God calls sinful. Maybe you find it hard to follow God's design for work. This is one for me that work is actually about serving others with the gifts and the talents God has given you not about selfishly doing anything to promote yourself and to further your personal career. Maybe you find it hard to tell others about Jesus. To be honest that a life without him ends in hell. Even though you know God calls us to tell others about him. I urge you to use the last few verses of the Psalm to acknowledge and to lift your head that Jesus is Lord to set aside whatever other lords that want to claim the top spot over your life and pray these verses true in your life. In conclusion, praying Psalm 24 is praying the core truth that only through unity with Jesus can we stand in God's holy place with him as our creator, our savior, and our Lord.